0: Let's go all
1: right hello everyone and thank you for joining us for our second load and sports outlier session my name is matt pajak i am a co-founder of load sports we have five more exciting guests lined up after this to check out our blog for more info and set those calendar reminders we'll see you right back here next week quick plug on what load sports is we are the affordable human performance data provider we use non-exclusive objective athletic evaluations for the purposes of tracking athletic development Informing athlete health and identifying outliers our evaluations are non-sport gender skill level or age specific They are for anyone and everyone just like these outlier sessions If you are interested in learning more and getting in touch visit our website at loadinsports.com Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at loadinsports and read our blog, which is also available through our website the outlier sessions have been created as a way to bridge the gap and create a connection between the aspiring and the achieving all of our guests have a niche at the highest levels of baseball and are an outlier in their own right. And we want to take some time to talk about long-term athlete development, LTAD, in the context of their experiences, their processes for taking care of themselves, and get them a little bit more about their personal interests as well. With all that being said, we know there are so many other ways you could be spending your time, and we want to thank you for being here with us. We hope you enjoy the outlier sessions. We hope you find value in them. We hope you're able to take something you learn and apply it in your life. This session will be broken up into two parts. For the first part, we have a series of questions for our guests. For the second part, we'll invite you all to join the conversation. And When we get there, we'll walk you through exactly how to do that. So, And now I'd like to introduce the Mayor of Jacksonville, Florida, longtime coach turned Boston Red Sox area scout and Portillo superfan, Alonzo Wright. Thank you for joining us this evening.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah. This is uh you know, don't tell any of the other guests, but this is the one I was
0: most looking forward to. <laughs> you get this on a, a daily basis. We talk a lot. So, um, yeah. What do you got for me?
1: Well, first off the bat, we need a little background on yourself, where you're from, um, the professional path that led you to scouting. I mean, you can kind of touch on it a little bit. I know we're going to get into that a little bit more, but just, high level, where you coach, high school, travel, ball, college, and then kind of where you're living at now.
0: Gotcha. Um, Well, I'm originally from Jacksonville, Florida. Um, Quick story on how I got kind of got into this journey into professional baseball. It's probably not conventional at all. Um, My playing career ended my junior year. Uh, I started off, I went to Shaw University out of high school. And after my freshman year, I transferred to the University of West Florida. Um, sat out my sophomore year because of transfer rules. And then my junior year, I was cut. So the Alonzo Wright story is supposed to be over, by uh, at this point, um, kind of had to like figure out life. Um, so I wanted to like help people. So like, that was my passion outside of sports. Like I just wanted to give back and help people. And I was kind of drawn to the mind. So, um, I went into the mental health field and after grad school, moved back home and I was home and I had some time. So I was do- I was a therapist and I had some free time and I felt like there was a problem that I could be addressing. And there was um, the baseball fields in, in the community that I grew up in were, were covered and being converted to football fields. So the opportunities to play baseball were diminishing. So I said, hey, Zoe, you can do this. Uh, so I decided to, like, spark some interest and kind of be a catalyst uh, for change. Uh, so I started doing free baseball camps every Saturday. No intentions to coach at all. Um, just kind of to give hope. And, I, and after a few Saturdays, a few parents came up to me uh, and they were like, hey, w- we want you to coach this team. And I was kind of like, no, nah, no, nah, nah, nah." My purpose is to do these camps, not to coach. But I appreciate that. A um, few Saturdays continued and I, they continued to, to, to present that to me and it was they presented it, it was like, we, we won't have a team if we don't have a coach. So I got a big heart. Um, I like to believe I do. Um, so I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. But just this once, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to go back to the camps. Um, so I ended up coaching a bunch of kids, ages of 6 to 10. Uh, it was a 10-year team. None of them have never played baseball before. And it was a great experience because I had never coached before, so it was a good mix. So we both had uh, our first um, go at it. Um, that season. So the season finished. I'm saying all the season finished. And I went back to my original plan of not coaching and, and planning to do the, the free camps. Um, turns out one of the parents that I knew was a an, new and AD that was looking for a high school coach. They called me. Um, and initially I said no, which you'll find is the theme. I'll say no a lot. Um, After thinking it over, though, I I took on the challenge. Um, It was a rough rough program. They hadn't won in three years. So I took the job. You know, people called me crazy, laughed at me, thinking, ah, you you can't change that program. Like, it's doomed. Um, We had minimal success. We won 10 games, two years, had two district tournament wins. Um, That was the highlight of the 10-year. But I felt like we did make some changes um, in that program um I would probably still be there today if I didn't get this call. So the AD calls me, he pulls me into the office and says, "Hey, um cuz I wasn't getting played because I was a school board employee. Um so they wanted to use the stipend for baseball to hire a football coach. So they did that and they went a different direction on the coaching where and I was like, "Wow, man, like I was crushed. Like that I, <laughs> I don't know, that took me back and I I'm That still kind of hurt to this day because of the impact that i had at that moment i felt like i needed to be there um that was my plans um so i got that call and a few days later another school reached out to try to schedule a game i told them the situation um and before that we got off the call they offered me a job and from that point i think i've been climbing ever since uh, in this this coaching field, with uh, in baseball in general, so from that led to me a, a coaching job at Trinity, and then from Trinity I went to Florida State College at Jacksonville, um, a junior college in Florida, and then from there I left to go to Eastern Kentucky, and from that point I got an opportunity at Tulane University, and which leads me to where I am today um, with the Boston Red Sox as an area out uh up in the upper midwest
1: yeah and i, I don't want to take all of that that you just explained because it's it's pretty amazing um and and summarize it but i'm going to do that anyway uh let's call it do and doors open because uh, that's what you did you saw something uh you went out you did it and a bunch of doors opened and i'm sure there's more doors to open as you continue on because you know Obviously, above and beyond the impact that you have in the baseball world, you know, a lot of it comes down to the human element. So um, we'll get into that a little bit more later on. But, you know, before we really get going, I do want to quickly throw out that similar to last week, we'll be sending out an email in a few days for all attendees to claim their free POAP NFT for the session. For those of you who aren't familiar, a POAP is a proof of attendance protocol or simply a digital ticket stub. If you're interested in receiving the email, fill out the Google form that we've posted in the outlier session chat. So um, moving along, we do want to hit on some LTAD-related topics with Zoe. Uh, Loden Sports is in the process of building an LTAD long-term athlete development guide uh, that will be inclusive, holistic, and philosophical reference for developing athletes of all sports and levels of aspiration. In our eyes, everyone is an athlete. Yes, even the people on this chat that aren't actively playing. Uh, we all can and should find enjoyment in sports in a number of different ways for the entirety of our lives. So, I have some history with Zoe on this topic emotional well being and the importance of gratefulness. There are little things we can do every day to bolster our emotional well being. It's like a muscle, it needs to be trained. So, we did this last week with Corbin. This exercise is something you can do today and every day. Zoe, teeing you up, what are three things you're grateful for today?
0: Ooh, okay. So, Combo for the first one to be uh, the Black and Decker old school coffee pot and Folgers uh, for the cup of coffee that I'm drinking now. I'm appreciative. I love my coffee pot, but that's that's a daily thing. I'm always thankful for that. Um, I'm thankful also for Jay and food, Jay Food and Liquor. I've been hunting for this particular brand of, of bourbon, Eagle Rare, and I was finally able. Um, to find it after like 11 months uh, Me and the guy in, in our four corners Vaughn Williams have been talking And trying to find this And it's always out of stock And today, well, r- rewind two weeks ago Jay uh, told me that he would get a bottle in um, On this Thursday And sure enough, he got one in So I was I was thankful for that And I'm also thankful for everybody That's taking the time just, just to be here And just to hear me talk um, I appreciate that Yeah, man. Um, I'm going to
1: piggyback off you on that last one. Uh, Definitely a huge shout out to everyone that's in the room right now and shout out to you for being on. Um, Obviously, (laughs) we all work with 24 hours a day. So, you know, take a little bit, a little bit of that time and and listen to us go back and forth on whatever we talk about. You know, that's it means a lot. So that's going to be one. Uh, Number two, last night I had a like 15 minute connector in Nashville on my flight back across the country and Southwest Mm. somehow got my bags on the second plane, um, even though I had to sprint from plane to gate. So, uh, shout out to the Southwest workers on that. And, uh, number three is when you get stuck in a middle seat, but you're on one of those planes that has like the bendable headrest so that you can kind of like lay back, fall asleep and not worry about like falling over on the person to the left or the right of you. I um, also had that on the, the second plane and was able to just kind of lock myself in um, and fall asleep for that last flight. So, um, yeah, good stuff. Okay. Uh, the next element of our LTAD that I want to hit on is ignition. Um, another part of our LTAD that you, I want to introduce here is this concept of ignition. It's a key pillar to athlete development. It's what lights the fire for the developing athlete to want to participate in sports. Um, It's what keeps that fire lit. So um, ignition usually happens in the subconscious through positive experiences in sports. I think this one's really interesting because normally we talk about it in the context of an athlete. But, you know, we're going to talk about it in the context of Alonzo Wright, uh, who's currently working in sports, but isn't necessarily, you know, actively you know, professional athlete per se. So uh, parents, teachers, and coaches are responsible for shaping the developmental environment. So, uh, for you, who, and it could be one person, and it could be many in your life, helped drive the interest in the sport of baseball uh, when you were younger?
0: For me, uh, I'm the youngest of four boys. My older brother, he was he was physically gifted. He could do everything. Uh, he's a three-sport star. Like, he made... He made it look easy. It was easy to idolize him growing up. Um, and everybody, not all the all my siblings, we we did as well. Uh, he played football, so we all played football. Um, he played basketball, so we all played basketball. He played baseball, so we all played. So growing up, we, we were just trying to model ourselves after him. Like, he was our hero. Um, partially, the reason we kind of played sports is to, to not be home, uh, kind of keep us busy and not be bored. Um, there was no video game system in the house or cable TV or cell phone to keep us busy. So like it was organized sports or it was a uh, neighborhood we we're playing football and we'll go up to the park to go play basketball and we we're racing bikes or sprinting, just finding ways to compete. Um, so that I guess that initial ignition for me came from um, looking up to my my older brother. Uh, I think from a coaching standpoint, uh, a coach that inspired me was, was this guy named Coach Bill. Uh, he wasn't the greatest coach in the world and he probably wasn't even even the nicest like he was a terror on the field like notorious for yelling like picture picture uh should night if he if he was coaching um but I'll, I'll tell you regardless of how angry he was i, I knew he cared like if i practice, he would call my house he would check on me if i needed a ride which i often did he would give me one um if i hadn't eaten like, he would always check on me to make sure, I, like, I was okay. Um, and I, and it wasn't just me. I know he did that with other players as well. Um, so, like, for him, like, he inspired me. Like, I gave him everything I had. And if I didn't, I would feel guilty. Like, I owed that to him to just empty the tank. Um, and I, after he finished coaching me, me those two years, like, he still was checking in on me. Like, I still have a lot of respect for Coach. Um, and probably I'm still afraid of him to this day. So,
1: That's pretty fun. Those are the the two. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, you hit on a lot of different things there because, you know, I think especially in the amateur baseball environment right now, a lot of the focus is on like old school, new school teaching principles. And, you know, this coach, you know, can't teach this and he can't teach that and whatever. But there's so many different elements that go into a coach that can make a coach great. in in a lot of different ways. And I think you hit on that right there um, where, you know, he might not have been the best baseball coach or he might not have even really been a baseball coach at all, but uh, he was a coach and a leader and, and someone who was able to drive you and and get the best out of you every day. So, um, you know, shout out to coach Bill.
0: Um, Absolutely.
1: And then, uh, you know, you said your brother was a multi-sports star uh, yeah how did, how did you end up in baseball was that did that end up being his specialization or could it have been any other sport for you uh why why baseball
0: um the the final the, he went to school to for baseball uh for me i think football it was either football or baseball basketball it passed me by quick at, a, at an early age i'll be honest with you and football slowly did too when i realized physically I wasn't going to be 6'3", uh, 215 or anything like that. And and as the game sped up, my feet went the other way. They kind of slowed down. So um, it was baseball for me all the way. Like I, I knew like that I was going to be p- involved in some fashion from probably middle school.
1: That's awesome. Um, so when your feet slowed down, where did you end up, <laughs> where did you end up playing on the diamond
0: <laughs> I still I still played up in the middle like I was a middle guy uh moved to center field when I went to college um I wasn't like like but, but like football like it slowed down to a point to where like I wasn't I was just, I was just below average um so
1: yeah I wasn't they're yelling easy. at you from the sideline pursuit pursuit and you're like coach I'm taking angles I just can't get there I mm-hmm. wide oh yeah yeah (laughs) that's funny all right so uh i know you're a parent uh you got andy um do you see your son taking a baseball or you know something else have you consciously done anything to try and get him interested in sports you know kind of on the topic of being a parent and kind of trying to figure out strategic ways to to ignite um you want to talk about that a little bit
0: so i did my best i feel like to try to ignite that within him um my, like our first attempt was we we're gonna go like the f- build motor skills with soccer so like at two and three years old he we put him in the soccer to see if he would gravitate towards it and just guy to got to kind of get the body moving and build some uh, motor find motor skills with them um he didn't gravitate towards it so we were like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Um, we did like some fast class, like some action sports class with him to uh, try to get him. It was like basketball one week, uh, soccer one week, uh, baseball one week, uh, whatever. volleyball, hockey, they'll go through all of them. Um, and he didn't gravitate to any of them. Um, so we, we tried T-ball and you know, he didn't gravitate towards that at, at all. Like for him, I think he kind of seems like baseball is my thing, and I keep hoping like down the road that he'll be like, you know, Dad, hey, I'm ready to play. Um, honestly, I, w- I used to try to bribe him with things that he really liked um, when he was like five or six. He's he's eight now. Um, to like, hey, if you play catch and you catch ten in a row, um, I'll get you some Robux, and you can you can go for it. Um, he'll do it, and but nothing really sparked in him to like go play competitively. Um, I keep hope alive. He's left-handed. So um, I'm still waiting around, but I don't think it's going to, I think it's probably going to be a no-go for him.
1: It's kind of interesting. Sean Campbell's son is eight going on nine in March. And uh, up until just a couple Uh months ago, he really had no interest in watching sports or, uh, you know, anything necessarily like that and all of a sudden he got the bug and now all he wants to do is go out in the yard and play catch and swing the bat and turn on football on Sundays and all that so uh, don't be surprised if the, the switch just flips on one day because oh, I'm not, I'm not you sure. You just I'm gave confident. me hope. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you just gave me hope man. We ready. No. <laughs> Whenever he's ready I, hey, I'll be ready for him to to go for whatever he wants to do, honestly. Uh, he's got to find, you know, his path. And it might not be in sports at all. And, you know, I just want him to be happy. So,
1: yeah, I think there's so many different things out there today. And a lot of it, you know, a lot of us older people don't don't quite understand what exactly is going on um, mm-hmm. in terms of the interest and all that. But, you know, there's so many different ways you can go. And I think it's, it's more or less just finding an interest in something. In pursuing it whatever that may be so um, yeah no that's good stuff so let's uh let's move away from the LTAD a little bit let's talk about your journey I know we kind of hit the high level overview on it but I kind of want to dig into the weeds a little bit more uh, obviously we met a few years back while I was at USA Baseball your high school coach in Jacksonville Trinity Christian uh, JC Flowers uh, Austin Martin who else you had on that team you had, uh, uh the kid that went to Louisiana, Lafayette. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, take us through the past five or so years of your life as you've kind of maneuvered from Trinity Christian to Florida State College at Jacksonville to EKU, Tulane, and, and now at Red Sox.
0: Oh, uh, the, the journey uh, to where I am now. I think... If if you, you talk about my experiences and you know the ups and downs and, and how I got there, I think the value of the no's that I've had on on that journey, like the no's on my part and by other people as well, um, that kept me in those situations kind of to learn. Um, and I feel like each stop had a purpose. And don't think like I'm I'm on here saying that I was prophes- prophesizing this, but no, 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 no. Like in hindsight, it had a purpose um i felt like so like when i was at fscj um i applied for jobs and i was offered jobs um neither worked out but they turned out to be like the right no for me um and it allowed me to to continue to grow and and learn at fscj so when i was at fscj my in hindsight my goal and my purpose there was kind of conquering the fear um, I feared that I wouldn't be a good enough coach at the four year. I was just good enough for the junior college level, but I wouldn't be a good coach um at the four-year by my standards. Um and I and for a moment I let that cripple me and kind of being complacent. Um so me being there and some of the no's that I had that that kept me uh in that situation allowed me to gain confidence, kind of trust my abilities, push through and kind of address some of the weaknesses I had as a coach. Um, so just basically overcoming that fear was that time period for when I was at FSCJ. Um, and when I left, I I left to go to EKU under coach Thompson, who took a chance on me. Um, I took a chance on myself as well. It was like a a leap of faith. Like I quit a a, a paying job, 60 grand a year. I left my family behind and I just bet on myself. I didn't make any money. Um, I had a full calendar year of, of savings. Um, to survive off of, but that was it. That was I was gonna bet on myself, and I was gonna make the best of this. If I was gonna do it, that's when I was gonna do it. So I went out. Side story: I I, I took the job at EKU. I had two weeks to go find a place. Um, the person who I had a I had a coaching buddy who agreed to let me. St- he had an extra room, so he's gonna let me stay there. Well, I accepted the job, and then he turned out and backed out on the deal. So. I had to find a job i had to find a a place to stay in two weeks reached out to my buddy tyler bender um and without a doubt without any hesitation he said i got a room for you 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 can come stay here um and this was in williamsburg richmond kentucky is about an hour and 15 uh, minutes away so it was a commute it was a doable commute so it made it do it so it was a lot of uncertainties going into that experience like but I knew in my heart, like if I got that experience, like I can open doors, like didn't know my, I didn't know what, I didn't know when I could just do it. I knew I could do it i create creative. Um, so that happened, um, while I was at EKU COVID hits and in my heart, I was like, this doesn't change my trajectory. I'm still on pace. Things are still going to open up and I'm still going to make something happen. Um, Imagine trying to, I guess, create these things during that time. You're, you're, you're either gonna be like ultra confident in yourself, or you're gonna be delusional, right? I, I feel like, like life can reward both. Fortunately, um, I might have been more on the delusional side, but it, it worked out. Um, so, FSCJ was kind of overcoming faith, fe- uh, overcoming fear, and EKU was my leap of faith. Um, which led me to Tulane. Tulane had an opening. Izio left for Charleston Southern. Coach Jewett gave me a call. I was back home because it was, it was COVID natural. I was in my driveway. I remember talking to him. Like for me at that time, like it was a no brainer. Um, it was, it was no brainer for me. Like as soon as I got that call, I was like, this is it. Prior to this, like I had declined some other interviews and some jobs that I felt like were, were, not better experiences, they were just jobs. So I felt like this one right here was a better experience and I would be the better off in, in life learning and being in that environment. Um, Tulane was an unbelievable place and love New Orleans, love Coach Jewett, Omen, Latham, Curtis Akey, all elite uh, individuals knowledgeable in their respective fields. Um, and I had in, in my plans, in my plans, I had planned to be there for two years. And again, I turned down uh, two paying jobs that fall. That that's that fall. Um, and the lesson I learned there it's it's not on your time. Uh, it's on God's time. So I think He led me to where I am today. Um, uh, because I'd probably still be one toe in, one toe out, trying to pursue a dream. Um, but I wouldn't trade my path uh with anybody. Honestly, I appreciate everything that I, that I had to go through and every unknown and uncertainty that and dark path that i had to walk down so yeah well that that
1: whole journey in the past couple of years you know you, you got a rainbow in your closet you know from the <laughs> blue wave to the green wave to the red sox so um you know, just kind of about <laughs> <that>. <laughs> and, and you hit on a lot of it um but like good things taking time you know and effort and support and and trust and a, a lot of times a fair amount of luck. And you kind of hit on a whole bunch of that um, kind of going back to that theme that we talked about earlier, doing doors open. I think it's kind of mm-hmm. important to bring to light that, you know, only a select few people get to skip all of what you went through on the way up. And that for a lot of people, you know, that's, that's what it looks like. It's a lot of, you know, turning down this opportunity for that and trust in your gut and, you know, really being confident in yourself, but you really can't do that unless you have, you know, I'm going to go back to that, what I just said a couple lines ago, but support, you know, a support mm-hmm. system. So whether that be your family or I think, you know, even more importantly is finding that that mentor that's walked the path where um, yeah. that's in the same realm as you, because, you know, I think we can all speak for it. You know, we all have family members that are very supportive of, of what we do and the choices that we make, but a lot of them aren't in the day-to-day of this is what our world looks like. So um, I know Chip Lawrence of the Padres, National Crosschecker, is a mentor for you. Um, what kind of role has he played in your journey? And you know, anybody else, you know, on the, the baseball side specifically, you know, that's kind of helped brace you as you make these, you know, leaps of faith from, you know, Florida State College at Jacksonville to EKU and on to Tulane and then, you know, ultimately getting to the Red Sox. Uh,
0: I'll be honest, it's it's been many hands helping me, but I'll I'll touch and address the the Chip Lawrence. Um, He was the first scout that I I met that looked like me. Um, Being that, you know, had its effect. Uh, he was like the first and truly he was the first one to believe in me and kind of lit a fire in me, um, from our first meeting, like he encouraged, um, me to a point to like, I wouldn't be here without him. Like he did me so, so many favors by not giving me a handout, not making it easy for me to get a job, um, and just holding me accountable. Like he pushed me to be better. Like whenever I think I was close and like, I thought I had it figured out like he would challenge me even more. And, and like, like I'm not here if I don't meet him, um, many moons ago, uh, still to this day, he looks out for me and he'll make sure that i will prepared to walk in whatever role I am. Um, the, the, the accountability and the direction he's provided, like, like in metaphorically, like, he's, he's taught me to fish basically. Um, other individuals, there's so many people that have given me a hand that pulled me up um, and not that handout, but a hand up and pulling me up in this journey. Um, just I, I don't want to leave anybody out, but Edwin Thompson, um, who's at Georgetown, uh, Travis Jewett, like they, they both did things that they didn't have to do um, and took risks um, and, and provided and opened that door for me. But there's there's so many. I don't want to leave anybody out, though. All my uh, all of my friends and, and peers in the game that, you know, that I confide in and bounce things off of on a day to day basis to try to like improve myself. So um, it's, it's a lot of pieces that kind of help me get to where I am and who I am.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, because if you look at a resume, it's so it's so personal. It's so just you just me, just whoever's (laughs) resident it is, but every step of the way is such a team effort. Um, And that's why it's so important, you know, whether it's in your professional career or as an athlete or in whatever, you know, road you choose to walk in life, to have a really strong, sturdy support group and to diversify that support group. Like we said before, you know, the family aspect of it is huge your friends supporting you. That's huge. But, you know, for you, you know, you speak on Chip, you speak on Edwin, uh, Jewett, you know, having those types of people in your life. And I, I know there's there's so many more because you've impacted so many people on a day-to-day basis, you know, and I'm sure they've impacted you, you know, right back. And that just, it makes it a whole lot easier to make those, you know, uncertain decisions in, in life. So, you know, I guess if there's anything that we get out of this little bit here for anyone listening um you know really appreciate that support group that you have grow that support group um and, and cling to it make sure they they're appreciated so um this, this next one yeah i i feel comfortable talking about it with you and i know that uh you'll you know kind of open up to it a little bit because i know a lot of people You know When when ego gets in the way, and that's not really something that I'm particularly concerned about with you. I've known you long enough to know that ego isn't really a barrier in a conversation. But I want to talk about some of the positions. You don't have to call them out specifically that you've interviewed for along the way that you didn't get. Because there's no glory in that, and it's not openly advertised because people only tweet and promote their successes. We all know that. But rejection is a part of everyone's life. So I always felt like you did a really good job of keeping a level head, refocusing and staying the course. Just in the conversations that we had, you know, I interviewed for this position or I interviewed for that position. I knew that you didn't (laughs) get it, but you didn't (laughs) let that throw you off course. And of course, you didn't go out and tweet like, hey, I interviewed with so-and-so and and I didn't get it. You know, no one does. (laughs) So, um, Talk a little bit about that for everyone who hears this we've all faced are facing and will face rejection in a variety of capacities in our life.
0: Uh, Ooh, the list of different, uh, I, I I can recall applying for a million volunteer positions and director of baseball ops just to get into, um, at the four year level and so many different coaching positions. I couldn't even get a, a call back for, um, I've interviewed uh for five different clubs uh for scout for area scout positions. Uh I've I've had my my fair share of of nos and rejections. I, I I like to think like I'm I'm a walking billboard for like fighting failure. Uh, I, as twisted as it may sound like I'm I'm thankful for the rejections, the failures, the low moments in my life. Like I I'm, I'm telling you I'm not who I am today if it weren't for those. Like you don't become resilient unless you face you're face to face with with some shortcoming, some disappointment some failure um, and I survived all those and, and kind of still pushing to get through and stay ready for the next one because you know I haven't built an immunity to failure by no means but it's shaped and and, and continues to shape who I am uh, today so just get that armor ready stay ready
1: yeah resilience that was a, a key theme in daily doses Oh. For this week so if, if anyone In the in the crowd isn't following Zo on Twitter he's a good follow He hits you with your daily dose of Zo <laughs> You get a little kick in the butt Every day when you need it so uh, <laughs> Plug that's uh, What is it Alonzo C. Wright?
0: I think so Yeah
1: Alonzo C. Wright, I, sh- Alonzo. I
0: should know that that's me But I should know my own Handle <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah you should know your handle uh, Not on Instagram so You know unless. You know, if- <laughs> And unless you meet Zoe in person, you're not going to get to see that beautiful face. But <laughs> let's, uh, you know, I know Cole Conley's in the audience, so you know he's he's not you know super privy to what you do on a day to day basis. Just kidding, Cole. Let's talk about your day job for a bit. Uh, okay. When did you know you wanted to be a scout for a professional baseball organization?
0: Cool. Okay. Yeah. This this goes back to my relationship with Chip. Um. I think he inspired. He lit that candle within me uh, and kind of gave me hope that, you know, one day I could thrive in this ro- role. Um, I know I wanted to be in baseball and I thought coaching honestly was the only way. So I put myself in that box um, and I thought coaching was it. So I was really good at I feel like I was really good at identifying talent and the evaluation side. Um, so they're like the recruiting like gave me that first day of, of school feeling like when you got your outfit laid out, new J's for so cold um, and you're ready for that next day. Um, are those butterflies from a like a first date or something like that? That's what the process and, and the part of the game that I love was like for me. Um, seeing a player progress and develop over the years honestly wasn't as rewarding. There was some reward, but it. W- I didn't get that euphoria that I felt like recruit going out to recruit or talking to a recruiter or, or anything like that. Um, and this this goes by, I remember a conversation I was having with Chip, and and he was like, "Hey, everybody's got gifts. Like yours could be in development of players, or yours could be in evaluation of the player. Like you just got to you just got to know and own your gifts." Um, Well, you can guess which way my time and kind of effort was balanced. Like I think from that point, I'll. W- would ultimately be in this role. I just didn't know when.
1: Yeah, and I I know just from our conversations in the past, you know, you had a number of different opportunities present themselves, to interview, and, you know, going back to a couple questions ago, you know, it's not easy to be a finalist for an area scout position with one of the 30 MLB clubs. It's, It's just not easy. And when you get there, like, even if you don't get selected, that doesn't mean you're not, Capable of doing the job, it's just, you know, it's something that everybody wants to do. So I, I do want to talk a little bit about how the opportunity with the Red Sox presented itself uh, and how you ultimately landed that position, because I think it's important for anybody who's pursuing a path in baseball to kind of understand that, like, there's no guarantees, even when an opportunity presents itself that, you know, you're going to be the guy.
0: Yeah. Uh, who honestly still to this day, I don't know how my name got in the mix with the Red Sox. Um, I just know from my account what happened and I wasn't, I'm a transparent here. I wasn't as confident going into it because I didn't know anybody in the organization. And usually if you don't have anybody fighting for you, like there's a, you're fighting an uphill battle, a battle. Right. So like, I was like, I don't know anybody. So let's rewind. I'll tell you how I had. Um, uh, I was coaching at Tulane, um, and I had got a text and I still have it in my phone today. Right. i um, asking if I wanted to interview for a position and, um, now mind you, I had turned down two positions already, so I wasn't job hunting. Um, so I went to the head guy, Jewett, and I went to him, I was like, Hey, um, did you put my name in for a job? Um, so he was like, no, no, no. It, I didn't. And I was like, but he was like, you needed to interview for it. And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm going to interview for it. Um, so 10 interviews later, over a two week span, um, I was hired and, and I I, I got to tell this story. So honestly, I'll tell you, but the timing of it couldn't have been more divine. So let's backtrack. I quit my job at, and I took the job, uh, and went to EKU. I had a year's worth of sa- savings, right? Well, COVID hit and kind of put a strain on, like, my expected due date for being broke. Um, And that due date was November 1st. And I I, I remember this. And and this all transpired September 29th. uh, When I got that text, I signed the contract October 15th. Um, But from August to October, I had been applying for every job you can imagine. I'm talking Walmart, Family Dollar. I did Postmates. Um, I couldn't find a job. I was struggling and I was panicking because I knew my due date for being broke was November 1st, right? So um, I got offered a job on the 13th. I also got offered a job from Lululemon on the 12th, which I was really excited about. Um, but I, just, I needed a job so because I needed to pay the rent November 1st. Uh, I signed my contract on the 15th. They paid me on the 15th by mistake. It was an, an, an accounting error. Um, so they just skipped the check, my next check, but it didn't matter. Cause I had enough to pay November rent and I was okay. So like the timing of it, if you like, if you don't believe in anything greater than you, I can't help you understand like my feelings during that time. Like the circumstances that led to me being hired, like Oscar nominee, like screenplay worthy, man. I, I was going to be evicted in November at some point. Cause I didn't have enough money. I was done. Um, but that's that's kind of how the, the opportunity with the Red Sox happened on my end of it and, and the things I was going through personally in my life at that time.
1: So how did the opportunity with the Red Sox present itself? Answer,
0: divine intervention. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to be short. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shorten up my answer. I'm getting lengthy here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, God
1: looked at and he said. All right, this guy. This guy's been working hard enough. He's out here grinding. You know, most days, he's a good person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just throw him a bone. So, um, I think most people, and you know, even though I've never scouted, you know, obviously I've got a lot of friends in the scouting industry. I've got a pretty good handle on you know what a an area scout does, the different types of scouts. Uh, I think most people. In here, most people that'll listen to this probably won't be familiar with the day-to-day responsibilities of a scout, kind of how the job changes depending on the time of the year. So let's talk about that a little bit. You know, you don't have to go too far in the weeds, but just kind of first off, what is an area scout and what's your area?
0: Okay. Um, I, there is no like day-to-day. It seems like it's just one long day, honestly. <laughs> like just never ending. Um, you're essentially the governor of your territory. Basically, um, I have the upper Midwest. I have Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, Missouri, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Um, and you're responsible for the players in the area, knowing who's who um, and getting the evaluation side and the administrative side uh, completed on the guys that you have ad- identified on your prep list. Um, and if they're priority guys, guys, making sure you communicate and schedule for the regional and above staff to get eyes on them. Um, you're kind of like, you're the expert of your area, knowing the coaches and players better than anybody else. Um, different times of year, uh, requires different demands. So if you break it up summer, fall, winter, spring, the day to day looks a lot different. Um, the summer, you're hitting the summer collegiate leagues. Um, the premier high school events um, that kind of bleed into the fall, which goes into the scout days and um, fall games for the colleges. And with all that, you're building your prep list and targets uh, for the spring and so forth. Um, that's the that's kind of a gist of it.
1: Yeah. So, you know, obviously you're an area scout and you've got your area and you kind of described what that means. Um, uh-huh. And before we, we talk about chip, national cross-checker. Uh, for the, the people out there who might not be familiar with the scouting hierarchy and kind of how the whole thing works, like you're the area scout, you're the boots on the ground in the area, you see a player you like, what is the process for that guy once you like him before he's ultimately in consideration for selection? And, and just kind of talk about the different types of scouts that have to come in and see this player.
0: All right. So what, the different types of scouts? So you got the scouting director below him. You have the assistant scouting director. Um, in there in the office as well, you have assistant to amateur scouting. Um, and then you have uh, a, a layer of cross checkers, national cross checkers, um, regional cross checkers, special assignment scouts, uh, national, you have the hitting, national hitting guy that only covers the, the bats for the East Coast or West Coast, depending on some, some, clubs do it a little different and you have a uh a scout that just do arms, um the top arms in in um in the country. Um and then you have us the area scouts. Um if I identify a guy and turn him in and you know once it hits the system, if I put a value on him or a grade on him that um sends off a red flag in the office that this guy needs to be cross checked. Um and then from there it's usually my uh Regional cross checker, he'll come in and he'll see them. Um, if it's a, a bat, then you know the next person will probably see them. Either be a special assignment for us or um, our national hit guy. He'll come in um, and cross check as well, and then so forth. And it just depends on their schedule and where they're at in the country. If you know, scouting director or assistant scouting director are able to get out and see them. Cool, cool. Um,
1: Yeah, I guess last question, you know, specifically on on the job itself. You know, I kind of want to dive into like what qualifies a player for a follower report. I know that there's, uh, yeah, obviously you've got all the rankings from the third party event operators and you cover five or six states. You're one human being. You know, what what does a, a, a player have to do to get a look from an area scout? And I'm not talking about Texas or Florida or California. I'm talking about, you know, an area like yours where it's so big, covers so much territory. And, you know, again, you're one person. So, um, yeah, Yeah. there might be a top 10 list in the state of Illinois and a top 10 list in the state of Iowa and a top 10 list in the state of Missouri. But you're not going out and seeing all of those kids. You're only going out Mm -hmm. and seeing the players that qualify for a follower report. So just kind of yeah. talk about what you really look for there.
0: Yeah. The, the report is I, I, I've come to that conclusion. Like I Alonzo, right. am satisfied with you in our organization. Basically I, I will draft you basically. Um, the follow is a little different. So for me, like different times, my focus is a little bit more demanding as we get into the spring, but let's say entering your draft year, I kind of in my personal approach is to pull the microscope kind of back and and be a lot more optimistic um, because players improve and they get better. So I I don't write off anybody because they don't have now stuff. Uh, That'd be kind of foolish. So uh, basically what I do is I'll do a quick idea of athleticism early. Um, If you're an if you're an athletic, you're likely to have another tool, whether it be the ability to defend, cover ground, range. Um arm strength or power um, you're likely to have some other two um it's not a hundred percent guarantee, but you know it's a shortcut um and most importantly, as the game speeds up, you're able to get the body in position to hit throw and run as the game speeds up, you're able to make those um, adjustments um from there, I go for the body like the, those are two things that are easily you can identify is the athleticism and the, the body, how much left runway is left on that body? Where does it project? Is it narrow? Is it ability uh, uh, to hold some weight um, and and so forth? Is it present strength but wiry or whatever? Uh, I think the most important thing is is like what what can this player do? Uh, is it arm talent? Is it ability to spin? Is it is it strength power guy? Uh, does he do things easy and under control? Um, is he just a performer? Is he elite runner? Is he just a good defender at a premium position? Um, it's just what does he do uh, or will do that can hold value in a system? Uh, I think we're all looking for something unique and, and that unicorn we're all searching for. Um, but I think, like, if you, along that journey of finding that unicorn, you're going to find some big leaguers on the way. Um, but that's just kind of like in summary of, like, trying to find things that quantify... I guess a follow for me, getting guys that fit in those areas.
1: Well, I appreciate that insight because I I think it's important for emerging players and their parents to hear. Every year, you know, obviously you're going out there and and you're, you're doing the job. You're an expert on this. and, And so aren't every other scout out there in your area and all across the country. And there's the people that do this year in and year out, but every year it's a fresh crop of parents. It's a fresh crop of players. And, they're looking at the third party rankings and and they're probably wondering you know what where do I have to be on these rankings to you know qualify for a look from a scout or anything like that? They're <laughs> completely in the dark, so I think that was good insight
0: yes, you yeah you you do not have to be on any rankings uh, to quantify a look from me. Uh, that would be the last thing I check uh, regarding rankings or anything i I'd actually look at that just for humor. A lot of the times, honestly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. You heard, it. you heard it straight from Zoe. Zoe only speaks the truth. Sometimes he, he looks at the rankings just to get a good chuckle. But um, moving away from the job itself, you're an important face in the game. Baseball has been facing a decline in representation from the African-American community on and off the field. You talked about it a little bit earlier, in that when you saw Chip, it was the first time you saw someone that was like you. Let's talk about that a little bit. What you've experienced and where you see the future heading. Um,
0: uh, the future. Um, I think as a like as a coach, like I had the re- the responsibility to recruit a diverse roster. Like if you look at the rosters at the co- take pro out of it, like at the at the college level and even the HBCUs. Like the numbers are decreasing. Like some programs do a really good job, but overall, like the numbers are the numbers are what they are. Um, and, you know, I often look at some of these programs and I often wonder, like, how easy is it? How easy it would be just to include a certain population on their roster just based on cost of attendance and location um, and it just, it, it baffles me that some of these programs um, do that. And I think like for, for us to get the representation in the game, we have to first have players playing at that level to kind of inspire more minority coaches. Like once we get more minority coaches and it'll start addressing the issues at the college level. Um, and I'm, I'm excluding the pro side of it. Um, but at the college level, I think that's where we need, uh, to inspire like, those who go into coaches are usually inspired by other coaches. They were coached by somebody who um, took an interest or had a passion for it, and they want to they want to emulate that. They they're inspired just like that, and they want to do the same. Um, well, if you look at the the college game, I hate to get into this 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 topic, um, but there's there's no black coaches out there um, outside of the HBCUs. It's limited numbers we're talking maybe five, including head coaches and assistant and paid coaches at the level. Um, and it's, it's, it's tough. So um, I would like to see it heading in, the, in a a better direction. Um, but I think the, the solution lies somewhere in, in at the top where you have a uh, better representation on staffs.
1: Yeah. And I know you don't want to call it out, but sometimes, you know, the, the truth is hard for people to swallow. And if, if that's what it is, I think, you know, you make a really good point. And it's not a quick Band-Aid fix, you know. And I think a lot yeah. of people think that, and in, in not just this particular instance, but in a lot of things in the yeah. world, everyone thinks you can just throw a Band-Aid on it and, and keep moving. But to your point, it's, it's going to take some time. Uh, and it's going to take a lot of those different things that you talked about to, you know, really st- – at, at the grassroots level, enact change and, and get things moving in the right direction. So um, do you feel like you have an increased responsibility or pressure because on most days you are the only African-American scout at the ballpark? Uh,
0: I, I think it's unique. Uh, you look around the ballpark and, and you might be the, you may be the only scout. Uh, and you look at the roster and on the field, you might be the only person that resembles yourself at the game. So it's kind of hard not to notice. You know, as scouts, we kind of like to blend in. Well, for me, like, it's it's apparent that I'm not blending in at times, I'm going to be honest with you. Because um, they're looking around like, uh, he doesn't have a play. There's nobody that looks like him, so he's not a parent. He's obviously a scout. <laughs> um, so I don't think there's so much pressure. I think it's just a responsibility. I got a responsibility to my club um, and myself for mer- for- foremost. Um every time i'm at the park i feel like you know it's an interview anyway like i just don't know for what and for when but you know we're being evaluated uh just like the players are um i do think it's my responsibility to kind of inspire that next wave of african-american scouts who who might be still playing or currently coaching um so like that i feel like is more so my responsibility versus me being uh a face at the park
1: Well, you got my vote. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And I I think you're doing a really good job of, you know, being whatever responsibility that is that you have. I think, I think you're doing a great job with it. So, um, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, keep being you. And yeah, I mean, I, (laughs) I can't feel what, whatever you feel when you go out there. um, But, you know, Respect the hell out of you for it. So, um, I do want to shift a little bit, same vein, but looking at the amateur space, there are a number of organizations out there trying to highlight, and bring opportunities to amateur ball players from diverse backgrounds. And you know, as we know and we've talked about, some are more effective than others. Uh, who do you mm-hmm. think is doing a really good job in that space right now of actually bringing opportunities to diverse young ball players?
0: Uh, Ro Coleman with the Nashville stars and he's got a foundation empowerment pursuit, um, in the Nashville area. He's, uh, he's up and coming and, and doing a really good job. Uh, I think Chimp Lawrence, I'm going to keep echoing him with the pro youth foundation in central Florida. Um, he's going national with, um, the brand of pro youth and, and spreading it around the country. I think Travis Coleman with the prospect lab. I think that, that was um perfect for that area um kenny fullman with the aces program out of chicago um alex whites with minority baseball prospects i think all are different in their approach but they all have similar goals of op- opening doors basically um those are just a few there's more other um organizations that are probably grassroots and don't have a national but they're you know, coaching the six U in an in inner city in the inner city um, that you don't hear about, and they work two jobs or something like that. Those those people go without saying. Like their role is just as important as anybody that's on the national scene. And
1: hey, look, I haven't been around baseball for more than five or six years professionally. Yeah, okay. um, you know, I think it's really encouraging to see all of these different organizations growing and popping up, you know, just in that short period of time. So um, mm-hmm. I think this entire conversation lends itself really well to a transition to the 22 MLB draft where mm-hmm. uh, Elijah Green, Termar Johnson out of Georgia, Cam Collier, Drew Jones. It's really a pocket of Georgia and Florida there, but um, they're all receiving first round buzz. Do you think this class is an outlier in regards to the diversity and the top high school prospects? Or do you think this could be part of a larger trend moving forward where we see more of that?
0: Gotcha. I will omit names um, because of certain things. But I'll I'll say this class kind of reminds me of the 2017 class where they the first two picks were uh, high school kids out of California. Um, And then the 10th overall came out of Kentucky. Um, I think that this class kind of has similar chance to impact at the top of the draft. Um, but for me, I'm telling you, I hopefully like the trickle down of this representation happens at the collegiate level. Um, well, we have more minority players on the roster that have an opportunity to be inspired to be coaches, athletic directors, trainers, whatever, and, and so forth. There's, there's uh thirty major league teams, and there's uh two hundred and ninety nine Division one baseball programs out there like target let's get the college game going and and that's where the change can happen but I do like this class and the excitement um around the the minority players in in the top half of the draft um it is exciting and it is good to see and they they all play the game the right way and they love it and it's a lot of passion coming out I love to see it so. Um, not to like downplay them or anything that you know that class has done but like for me like the true what the representation i w- i w- want to see is at the, the collegiate level
1: yeah in you know conversation for another day major league baseball marketing <laughs> approach uh, you know tip of the cap to elijah termar cam drew and i know there's a handful of other guys too um mm-hmm. maybe outside of that first round that'll still you know have a shot to to get some money in this next draft, but, you know, they did their job to get here and, you know, continuing to do that job to raise their draft stock. And, um, you know, I would bet that they continue to do their job as they get into either the collegiate game or the the pro game and, and get to the top level. But now, you know, like I said, <laughs> it's a completely different rabbit hole and, uh, you know, major league baseball's ability to promote these stars and, and get kids, you know, like you said, at the grassroots level, excited about the game of baseball. Yeah, that's where really, yeah. you're going to see the change. So, um, you yeah, know, before we transition into part two, I do want to briefly touch on the importance of creating good habits. So like I said before, um, you know, Zoe, you hit me last week starting small and building up. I'm still on it. I you're off it, but, you know, doing something <laughs> small every single day. Um, yeah, just, you know, even if you're depositing, you know, one cent, it's uh, the aggregation of marginal gains. Corbin Carroll talked about it a little bit last week in a, in a slightly different way. Um, what are some things that you're doing daily to build good habits and what habits have you created over the years that have laid the foundation for who you are today? Because I know even though you hit me with that last week, there are things that you've been doing that are small on a day-to-day basis that have helped get you to this point.
0: Uh I tell you, so I think the best habit I, I do this daily is that I've created is, and this is very corny and cliche or whatever, um, it has been reading, like, like, uh, reading is like vitamin C for like me and my curiosity and, and my improvement. So I think my daily habit habit would be a book. So, um, that's been something that, you know, has helped me along the way and kept my brain matter sharp. So. Um, that would be my, my, my daily good habit that I should.
1: Yeah. It's cool. If it's concise, I mean, reading or, or whatever it may be, you know, I think you brought up a good point there, curiosity. Um, but also just continuing to learn, you know, and that goes back to something I hit on earlier and just knowing you personally, um, you know, the lack of an ego, you know, I think ego gets in the way of learning because I think a lot of people have, a pretty sizable ego think, think they got it all figured out Think that you know Once they've learned something They've checked that box And like it's not going to change tomorrow So um, yeah absolutely. I, I know you've Tavis, recommended books to me in the past And I, I know I'll you. T-
0: Tavis Smiley said this in a, in a book And it's called Fail Off And it, it was talking about Like um, What was it called Oh, I had it It was about failing Um, I'll get back to it. I remember. Oh man, what was it? Oh, a man who views the world. That's what it was. Okay, a man who views the world. This at fifty, the same way he did at twenty, has wasted like thirty years. So like, like I, I read that that was a while ago. Uh, I remember I wrote it down just for this, but I remember like thinking to myself like. I can't waste, like, a year. Like, I can't be... That's what goes back to me. Like, I don't want to be the same scout I was um, last year. Like, I just want to continue to be better in, in some fashion. So, um, not wasting those those years and having those same views. I don't want to view everything the same as I did in 2020 and 2019 and so forth.
1: Well, I don't, I don't think you have to worry about that because of all the things that you've done leading up to this point, it would be really hard to shock your system and, and go the other way and just stop learning. So again, that's the, the daily building of good habits that kind of snowballs over time. And you know, if you're familiar with an exponential curve on a graph, that's kind of how that stuff works. It starts with a slow build and then one day you wake up and that thing just goes straight up. Um, so anyway, this has been great. Obviously we could keep you all night. You know, I'll probably be on the phone with you for an hour tomorrow, <laughs> but, but really um, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. We know <laughs> you have work to get to. I do want to open it up for a handful of listeners here to ask some questions. Um, whether that be kids, parents, coaches, whoever's in the room. One last question before we turn it over to the crowd. This is a little cupcake for you. Where are you headed to
0: next? Um, uh, that's a cupcake. Okay. All right. Honestly, I'm heading back home uh, for to Jacksonville for the break. Spend time with family um, and just kind of unwind. So I'll be in Jacksonville uh, uh, starting the 20th. I'll go there the 21st, 22nd sometime uh, this month. I'll get back to Chicago uh, around the ABCA. So that's my uh, that's my timeline coming up.
1: Yeah, so for anybody out there who learned a lot about scouting tonight, uh, they do also still have time to celebrate the holidays with their family. Zo, uh, so thank you so much for joining us. I think there was a little something for everyone in this conversation. Let's do it again soon.